0: Paul Sinton Hewitt began Park Run in 2004 with just 13 runners in his local park. Paul was at a low point in his own life and he felt that a combination of running and community was what he needed to get himself back on track. Little did he know then what Park Run would become. It has grown to become a free weekly community 5k event that's spread all around the world Enjoyed by millions of runners and hundreds of thousands of volunteers, Park Run is a positive, welcoming and inclusive experience where there is no time limit and no one finishes last. Today's episode is sponsored by Outdoor Rocks, a well-curated collection of outdoor and adventure movies from mountain biking to kayaking, extreme skiing to climbing the biggest mountains. OutdoorRocks.com is a hub for outdoor video content. You can find a mix of extreme adventure or inspirational videos. They offer something for everyone. There's no adverts. It's free to sign up. And you can subscribe to a daily email that sends you the latest curated adventure videos. Visit www.outdoorrocks.com to sign up today. Good morning, Paul. My first question to you is, how many people have done a park run?
1: Hi Alistair, it's good to see you again. Um, Actually, I don't have the figures to hand, but I would say we've got 7 million people registered, and I think 4 million of those, or more or less, have done a park run. What is interesting is in lockdown, Uh, we've had a few thousand people register who have never yet done a parkrun but have recorded something that we've been calling not parkrun, which is you run 5K wherever you want and you can record it on the parkrun website. So that's interesting. I mean, 3,000 odd people who have never yet run a parkrun who've decided in lockdown they're going to take part.
0: That is, yeah, that is a good good sign of intention. Um, has anyone done a park run in space yet?
1: Actually, you, it's a good good question. So you remember when Tim Peake was up in the space station? Um, uh, we were negotiating with him to do a park run on the Saturday, but then London Marathon stepped in and they were able to convince him to do the marathon. So he did the marathon and ah. no, not the park run, but no, a park okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about Antarctica? Actually, I think I think that has been done. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that there's a group of Glasgow scientists or or uh, some group that are parkrun ready who've been out there and they've done their own parkrun. And of course, we also have it on the Falklands Island Islands. Um, so they're all all over. It's quite amazing. What
0: well, I was just about to say that to you. Are you? jaded, that's not quite the right, numb, or just accustomed to these sort of figures? Or do you still have a little burst of astonishment now and again?
1: I, I would say accustomed. Uh, I think that that's a good yeah. thing. So I'm I'm never surprised. I'm always delighted. Um, I don't pay a great deal of attention to the figures, but then I never really did, because it was never really about the figures. It was always about personal experience and and what people get. and. and I'm 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 ambitious in that I would like to see parkrun uh, all around the world. I would like to see every single country have a parkrun, lots of parkruns, every village have one. I mean, it, that was our motto at the beginning. If you want one, you can have one. But of course, the bigger you get and the the further you go, the more complex it becomes. So of course, we're um we're a significant organization now with a very small footprint, but um, we have to pay a lot of attention to things like how do you manage the process? How do you manage your volunteers, the safeguard and the health and well-being and all that stuff? And of course, in the last five years, our uh, focus has moved from running 5K to health and well-being. And that means that whatever it takes to help people get, feel better about themselves, both emotionally and physically, uh, help them better integrate with the community, that's been our focus. So it's not so much about let's just ramp up the numbers. The numbers don't really feature on our scoreboard at all.
0: Okay. I'm going to ask you a few more numbers, though. Yep. Do, you know who's done the most, do you know who's done the most part runs?
1: There's a chap called Darren Wood. Um, if you exclude lockdown, we've been running for about 800 weeks since the 4th of October 2004, and he's done just short of 800. So almost every single week uh, that we've been running, he's, he, he's at the top of the list. And there are a couple of people, you know, 20 or 30 events behind him. Um, I think there are a few thousand who have done 250 events, and then there are probably 10 or even 15,000 who have done over 100 events. Amazing. Do you,
0: I think this is an even better question, but I don't think you'll know the answer. Do you know who's done the most volunteering?
1: No, uh, that's a good question. Because that, that is one of the. Because
0: that is one I'm going to ask you about volunteering later, but I I find that one of the most powerful things about the whole of parkrun, isn't it?
1: So it's a difficult thing for us to quantify. So for instance, on a Saturday morning, there are multiple roles that someone can do. Some can do stuff before the event start, they can do it during the event, and they can do it after event. And so you can do multiple roles. And what we count is the role that you fulfill. So you on a Saturday might do the event setup. You might then tail walk, which is a volunteer role, where you follow all the runners, making sure you're the last person to cross the line and that nobody is left behind. And then you might do set down, which would be three roles. And so we've got that recorded, but we don't. Oh, wow. Yeah, but we uh, and and so then we could also I suppose we could say uniquely how many days did you Mm -hmm. actually uh, volunteer? So I suppose we could come up with a number uh, yeah, yeah. or a, a tally of people who've done that, but it's not something that I think we've done. We do we do pay a lot of attention to our volunteering, but um, I don't think we've ever highlighted one person has volunteered more than another.
0: You said a lovely phrase about volunteering, which is that the volunteering is not giving something back, but actually it's a reward for yourself. So in that sense, it's a win-win thing, isn't it? The people who come out, rain and shine to help.
1: Absolutely. And this is something that I inherently understood from day one, although it took a long time for Parkrun to actually put that into words and to change our philosophy. Um, Our chief of operations, Tom Williams, was the person, probably in around 2010, who started uh, moving us away from give something back to do something for yourself. And, and we know it's true. I mean, I, I've known right from the word go that when you go and help out at a volunteer, you you help somebody else, you come away fulfilled, you come away energized, you come away knowing that you've affected somebody's life. And that is the reward that sits with you for the rest of the day and probably for the rest of the week.
0: Mm, yeah, I've been the uh, tail end Charlie whatever the technical name is a couple of times. And I really like that because what I love most about parkrun are not the speedy people, but the slow people. And I read a while ago that the average time is going up, which means that people are getting slower, not quicker, which is counterintuitive, but actually is a really good thing, isn't it?
1: Well, what's happening is uh, people who wouldn't consider themselves runners are joining us. So we're getting a Mm -hmm. volume of individuals who are uh, walking the course. And their progression is, is astronomical. I mean, they start out walking in 55 minutes and uh, you know a year later they're doing it in 35 minutes. So it's, it's, not about, uh, it's not really about trying to make us go slower, but it is about including everybody, taking away the barriers, making it possible for everybody to have a great experience over the five kilometers and um and as you notice that chatting and that communication that goes on at the back well that doesn't happen at the front (laughs) yes that's true it only ever happens happens at the back so my best parkrun experience the thing that stands out in my mind the most was i went to north Arla fields parkrun which is on the west side of london it's a um a very multiracial community with a large group of uh, Himalayan um, folks that attend. And on this particular day, I was injured and I decided I would just walk at the back. And I was I was maybe three or four steps in front of the tail walker. And there was this young man behind me walking just a little bit slower than me. And I turned around and engaged with him. I said, you know, what's your name? And Where are you from and uh, do you come regularly? It turned out that his dad was a regular and his dad was up front, one of the first 20 across the line. It was his first time he had um, come to stay with his dad uh, from his mum and uh, come down to the vent. And his dad had just said, look, all you have to do is walk around. So he was, and he was, uh, we started to engage. I asked him questions about school and I asked him what his favorite subjects were. And and um, we were probably at the two kilometer mark. And at two kilometers, he was saying to me, how far have I got to go? And I would say, well, it's just more than halfway. And the two and a half kilometers, he'd ask again. And, and we carried on chatting, carried on chatting. By the time we got to, 4 kilometers he'd completely stopped asking uh, how far to go and when we finished the event he was so elated it it just completely changed his perspective he you know 5k for somebody who's never done 5k is a big distance it's it's like some of us running a marathon and when he had finished that event he was a changed person he was completely different and it's one of the things that really sticks in my mind it was absolutely nothing not worth mentioning and yet probably the the most emotional best experience i've ever had with a park run There's oh been. that's
0: wonderful there are lots of people on the internet who have park run tattoos and i always think that is a sign of an organization who's doing something right in some way if you've got people for whom it's a significant aspect of their life that's uh yeah getting have you got a Park run tattooed
1: no i think it's crazy not yet i think it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: it's it's quite it's quite i mean it's a big thing isn't it it but, is so sorry yeah I,
1: I i mean i've never i've never quite thought of it as you pointed uh, as you as you mentioned it but you're you are right i think that um parkrun does a lot of things right i think one of the things uh, we do we you know we're very clear what our values are and we stick to them and we fight to protect them and we try to make sure that the experience for everyone is absolutely brilliant, and um, you can't help but let something like that get under your skin. And so for literally, yeah. So for many, many people, it is a, it's their one thing in the week that really turns things around, makes makes life well. I wanted to say it makes life worth living, but I think that's a bit too dramatic. Um, but it probably
0: is the case in some cases, you would suspect. So, yeah. 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 It's one it's of, a, one a, of yeah. the
1: reasons we operate on Christmas Day is because Christmas Day is a day when many, many people in our society are uh, stuck away very, very lonely. It's a, it's a terrible time if you're not with people with family and and um and what i've noticed on christmas day is that you do get those people coming out and taking part in you and even if we're only there for an hour we get a chance to spend a very important hour with some very lonely people so it's lovely
0: Mm. yes yeah sorry to ask you a boring question but it's one i think that has to be done so can you briefly tell me the now well-worn story of the circumstance in your life that led to the first run in bushy park
1: right yes i can uh, i'll try and be brief
0: <laughs> yeah you can get you can gallop through this because yeah. this is clearly the thing you get asked in every interview but it is really important
1: okay so a snapshot when i was in my 20s i in fact 23 24 i started running in south africa and uh, i joined a club called rocky road runners and they were based in a Johannesburg suburb of Parktown or Parktown North or something. And very, very close to where I lived was the the club's um, headquarters. Anyway, lo and behold, every Saturday morning, they used to run a time trial. And a, it was very low key, maybe five or seven, maybe possibly 10 people would pitch up and you'd uh, be, you'd just be on the start line, they say on your marks, you said go, and you'd run this fight, career, and as you finished, you'd go to a board and you'd write your name down. And the next week in the newspaper, they'd publish these five, 10, 15 times. <laughs> so that was the concept that stuck in my mind. But uh, I came to this country, joined a running club, did all the local formats. And I noticed that this time trial format just didn't exist. As, uh, as time went, um, I found that uh, life got the better of me. I went through stages when I ran and stages when I didn't run. I was involved in quite a lot of international travel, international consultancy. And uh, at this particular time, I had been fired from my job. Um, I had had a break breakup in a relationship and in targeting the London Marathon, I had tripped and fallen, and I'd really damaged my, my body very, very badly. So the prognosis was not good. I was stuck at home in a downward spiral, applying for jobs like mad, getting loads and loads of no's, even more ign- ignores. Uh, and and I just thought, look, I've got to do something. And the thing that was most prevalent in my mind was that my running friends were my rock and my anchor they were the people who kept me sane they were the only really good thing going on in my life at the time because everything else seemed to be on a downward spiral and it came back to me that this time trial format didn't exist in this country and uh, perhaps it would be something that the locals would enjoy so i started planning and i spoke to people i spoke to my club i spoke to some of the other clubs around i got lots of varying um, advice. Not everybody wanted this to happen. They felt that it would encroach on how they could run their organizations. And anyway, I figured if I just do it very, very low key, I'll be the only person doing any of the volunteering and I'll invite people and we'll just see what happens. So on that first day, on the 4th of October, 2004, I arrived in Bushy Park with Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, Jo. So she was the only person, I hadn't even asked her to help, but she was the only person who could possibly help at the time. 13 runners pitched up. I knew eight of them. Uh, The others were, were sort of introduced by those eight. And then another three helpers pitched up, which people I hadn't asked to come and so on. So there were five of us helping, and 13 runners. And the rest of it is is pretty, uh, pretty well-known story. Those 13 runners ran. I had arranged uh, to give out two prizes that day, uh, one to the person who completed the course first, and one to the person who completed the course last. And in that moment, some form of value was created that this wasn't a race. Yes, you are racing against yourself, but this wasn't a race, this was a run in a park and everybody was welcome. Uh, you could run with your dog, with your buggy, however you wanted, and everybody was treated equally. And so it and so it went. Uh, those first five volunteers, they were never recorded because we didn't think it was important at the time. <laughs> we only started recording volunteers in about 2007. But the principle of helpers was established on that first day, even though I thought it wasn't something that I was going to focus on. And it became more and more and more important. So we ran that first park run for two years before we started our second park run, which was in 2007. And uh, by the time I had to leave Bushy Park to go and start Wimbledon, it was gut wrenching to leave because I was so ingrained in that community. I was so ingrained in the fellowship that goes on amongst both the volunteers and the runners. I knew every single runner's name. Uh, it was it was just one of those really special times. And
0: it wasn't just the running, was it? You said right at the very start. You said the only thing I asked was that they go for coffee with me afterwards. So right from the start, it was more than running. Oh, it was about
1: cake. It was premeditated, if if anything, I. I rarely I knew that I needed this community to help myself. And uh, the cake thing, well, it's, it's definitely become folklore, but really every single one of our events does focus on making it possible for people to come together. And sometimes a big park like Bushy Park, you'll see maybe between 10 and 20 groups gathered in different parts of the park They've got a big cafe, and there'll be, there'll be 80 to 100 park runners at the cafe afterwards. Of course, there are many thousands who have gone home just to have breakfast with their family. But, um, but that situation still exists. It's a very important part of what we do. In fact, uh, with lockdown, we've had to rethink, or actually, we had to revisit what we stand for and how we do stuff. And the thing that stands firm. Is that we will not come back unless we can still offer that social uh, face-to-face integration, that communion that goes on event. There's no point in having a 5K run in a park where we've all got to be socially distanced. So when, you know, those are the principles that we stand on and those are the principles that we're going forward on. Okay. Um
0: so what have you learned about starting projects and growing projects?
1: Well, in my work life, I was uh, involved in IT and at quite a a lengthy period of of my work life, I was managing teams. So I have realized that actually a well-functioning team can get almost anything done you don't always have to be competent, you don't always have to be expert, but if you can surround yourself with people who can get things done, who are positive and engaged and uh, you're willing to, to work together, then you can overcome almost any obstacle. But what I found is that the hardest part of anything is that first step where you make that decision, I'm gonna do this against all odds. The second hardest part is maintaining that, saying that no matter what it takes, I'm going to see it through. And, uh, you know, in the first 10 years of Park Run, there were many occasions when I had to take myself aside and say, What have you done? Look, the, look what trouble you've put yourself in. You know? <laughs> uh, how, you know, is it really worthwhile? And fortunately for Park Run, the answer was yes, it was always worthwhile. It was worth fighting those battles into. You know, there's a lot, quite a few people who I annoyed because I wouldn't toe the line or because I, was, uh, I didn't agree with them or, or whatever. But in the end, I felt that what we stood for and what we were doing was greater and of more value than following what I was being told. And, and I, I think it's turned out to be right It's not always, right? I don't think you can always be bloody-minded and, and, uh, you know, it's ridiculous. But I think there are times when you know that what you're standing for is good and proper and you can force your way through. And so that's what I've done. So I I would say, yes, that's it. Um, I would think it's no different for somebody who has never done a park run, the same sort of decisions and... Um, commitment needs to be applied if you've never done a park run that first journey to the park that first 5k that first step out the door is massive it's a really big deal and uh it's no different to me saying i'm going to create this thing in in the park because i was in a different place i'd you know I'd, i'd quite a lot of experience by the time i got there so I want to sympathize with everybody who hasn't done their own mini adventure and is now looking to, I don't know, go camping for the first time or sleep under the stars. It's interesting, that sleep under the stars. I remember you talking to me about this um, when we went to the, the Do lecture. And it's such a simple thing. And yet there is such a lot of um, resistance to doing it. I I, I can't believe it. Last year, I went cycling in France, and I took my camper van. And of course, I could sleep in the van. It's absolutely brilliant. But I chose to just put the the mattress down on the ground, and I slept almost every single night just under the stars. It's such an amazing experience. But for many people, there are just so many barriers that prevent them from doing something like that.
0: Mm, That yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It's amazing. A small step from the van to outside is a very different experience, isn't it? But I think one thing from what you were saying then got in my head was if I'm trying to imagine myself as you. If some, if I suddenly thought I'm going to change the world and get seven million people to go running, my head would explode. I'd think of a million problems, and I'd think I'm not up to it. Imposter syndrome, and I'd get overwhelmed and not do it. But on the other hand. I could very easily think people in my village could do with going for a bit of a run. This Saturday, I'll get people to go for a run. And uh, and it's the same outcome. Well, actually, it's a different outcome because one of them actually happens, isn't it? But a very different way of thinking about projects.
1: I think if I was uh, going back 15 years, if I planned to create what we've got today, I would have failed. Uh, there's no question. Uh, Parkrun has, for many years, been a step at a time, a day-by-day approach. And the fact that it was weekly meant that I could grow the proposition, the solution, the, the whole thing. I could grow it week by week. And because it started very gently with very little money, very little publicity, all that sort of thing, a little bit under the radar, I could make mistakes and recover from them pretty quickly. If I made those same mistakes today with 7 million people, I would be, you know, I'd be trashed on social media. It would be absolutely, it would be a nightmare. So of course we have to be a lot more careful now. And your point is absolutely right. If if I set out to change the world, it would have been an impossible thing, completely impossible. I mean, look at um, Malala. If Malala Mm. had the mission she's got today, Ten years ago, I mean, she would never have done it. It was far too scary, far too scary. Or,
0: or Greta sit, uh, going to ridiculous behaviour, going to miss school and sit outside Parliament. What a silly thing for a silly little girl to go and do on a Friday. Exactly. And,
1: exactly. Yeah, so I mean, changing the world. But but it, these things come along, and you you got to feel fortunate that you were a part of it. You got to feel fortunate that you're in the position you're in. And, um, and I think you've got to try and live every single day to the fullest, which means embracing the, the opportunity that exists and, um, and being as happy as you can about everything. So,
0: mm. so as, as Park Run grew, how do you go about delegating your baby, stepping back from your baby to allow it to be more successful? What have you learned about delegation?
1: Well, so I I've said this before. Uh, it's it's very true. So I think very early on in my life I realized that I had my own limitations. I'm I'm not uh I'm not good at everything. I'm a generalist and I can get most things done, but probably not as well as somebody who's really expert. And so I learned in IT projects that I needed people around me. I needed people who were more specialists and things. And, and together we used to do a good, get a good job done. When Parkrun was started, of course I started doing everything on my own, but slowly I brought individuals in who had expertise in, in one or another area. And so that team approach began. I think the moments that you're talking about is when I handed over control of what was then my baby. And there were two moments in particular. I handed over the UK to Tom Williams and I handed over the global operations to a chap called Nick Pearson. And they were about 18 months, two years apart. So I went through the, uh, like losing a child syndrome. I don't know if there's a word for that, but um i went through that immense loss feeling of immense loss on two occasions uh the first one was probably more difficult so when i handed over the uk it was the biggest part of our our operation tom then took that forward and of course then tom and i would have small disagreements and he was very stubborn about how he wanted to get things done and and I'm more malleable, but I also stand my ground. And so there was a, a bumping <laughs> of heads. And that took 80 minutes. And, and Tom and I, uh, we're not yin and yang. Whereas um, now we have Nick Pearson, CEO, Tom is, is CEO. They are yin and yang. So mm. when they differ, it all seems to work out really, really well. When I differed with Tom, it was a bit of a head clash so it was an unpleasant time and it was very tough to deal with um although throughout the whole period i knew i cared a great deal for tom and i that I trusted him i knew that his heart was in the right place and that whatever he wanted to do he had very good reason for and more often than not he'd made the right decisions so uh so whilst it might have been uncomfortable it wasn't something that I felt I had to do anything about it. It wasn't something I had to fix, if you, if you know what I mean. I had to fix my relationship with with Tom, but I didn't need to fix Park Run. Nick came on board and probably the most significant moment in Park Run's history when we went from being a run in a park to making the world healthier and happier. And that had a lot to do with Nick, had a lot to do with what he saw the future for Park Run. Uh, he broadened all of our horizons, and uh, and again, I at at that time I had to properly step down. So he took over the reins as CEO of the whole organisation. My role became uh, just as founder. I had no day to day involvement, and you know it, t- it takes between six to eighteen months to work through that kind of loss, that kind of change. And it did. It took at least a year with Nick for me to be comfortable with where I where I am. And it's all working incredibly well now. So we've got a team of around 30 people managed by Nick and Tom, and that's across the, glo- the globe. So we've got people in Australia, people in South Africa, Canada, in uh, Europe. And uh, it's, I think... We're as close a team as we have ever been, if not closer. And being the lockdown period, they're meeting virtually almost every single week across the whole world. So there is such a lot of synergy going on right now. There are lots and lots of uh, discussions. And and I, I have to say, we're probably a closer knit family than we have ever been.
0: That's fantastic. So you mentioned the different areas of the world that you're in. Um why haven't you had that relatively much success in the US?
1: Well, the US is coming along very nicely at the moment. So, uh okay. it took it took a very very long time for things to um to start moving. We had an event there probably 10 years ago and and then we had two and then we had three and nothing really happened. I would say Uh, these are some of the lessons you learn as you move. Every single country is different and every single population reacts differently. Uh, In the United States, I got the sense that they felt that they were different and that they needed to do things differently. And what we've been able to prove is that actually that's not the case, that the model stands on its own. You do not need to approach it differently. Of course, every single negotiation is individual and has its own um, issues. But if you stand firm on the basic principles of what Parkrun stands for, yeah, you're changing a mindset, but that mindset does get changed. And because the principles are so good and wonderful, it's easy to understand. So ever since we uh, appointed our own person in the, the greater United States, I think things have started moving. And we've got people there who truly understand what we stand for. And, and they've really moved it on quite a long way. We have a, a number of people there before, everyone uh, well-meaning, everyone really wanting the best for Parkrun, but at the same time, looking to force change on the organization that we weren't prepared to accept. Mm,
0: yeah, it's good to uh, hold, hold, work out what you're willing to be flexible on, and work out what are the core non-negotiable chunks, isn't it? I think over, um, over
1: the years that's become cl- clearer and clearer to us, and and I think the team now is very clear what they will allow and what they won't allow.
0: Yeah, one of the big issues in the outdoor adventure community, and well, actually, community full stop, is the issue of inclusivity at the moment, and. Um, Parkrun proudly says they're very inclusive, uh, but I, I think though that all outdoor events and all adventure things would say the same. We're inclusive; everyone's welcome. But what's the difference between saying you're inclusive and actually drawing marginal communities in?
1: So there's a difference between being inclusive and actually targeting the deprived and uh, exactly. uh, Yes, there is a difference. So we are definitely inclusive. So we don't charge a fee to to join. Uh, Everybody's welcome. You can come in whatever clothing you want Uh, because we're big enough. Nobody stands out in the crowd. We welcome everybody. We have the same approach to everyone we have for the last number of years done a, a number of things to try and address the uh, the more disadvantaged communities so we've had programs where we've placed parkrun in the most deprived postcodes in the country typically parkrun starts because somebody feels that they want one where they live these particular communities that hasn't been the case we've got to go and find a reason to be there and and try and draw people out we've also taken parkruns into prisons and i think we're in a uh an ham- you know 10 or 15 prisons right now and that's a, a place where uh, perhaps the most deprived excluded people in our community are and we know that that is delivering value um are we doing enough? Well, I would say that it's at the top of our agenda. Uh, we produce a strategy, our strategy papers. We have four strategies which we review every three years. And because of the recent Black Lives Matter issue, we uh, we met as a team and discussed it, went through what we think uh, the, the issues are and how we can do things better. And as a result, we are bringing forward the review of our um, inclusiv- inclusivity and our diversity policies, our uh, well-being policies, uh, and all of those, volunteering as well. So we re- we're revisiting them with a view, with a filter on diversity and seeing what more we can do to make uh, our events more equal. We know that the majority of people doing parkrun are white, Probably middle class, although we do have substantial communities that are not like Leeds, Bradford, and and uh, as I mentioned, the um the one in London that I attended. So there are quite a number of communities that are very multiracial, but there are quite a number that are less so.
0: Mm. I mean, I think um I think what you're doing is wonderful. I think what you've done for. Britain well sorry, not for Britain, but for health and sport in general is far more useful than say the highly expensive Olympic Games or something. And it just seems like a complete wonderful win-win, no brainer, let's get park run to take over the world <laughs> thing. But what what barriers do you face? What what's what's stopping your global empire taking over the universe?
1: Well, the obvious one is always resource. Um, so, because we are a chat- but it's free. No, well, it's resource to because it's free for you to take part. Well, I mean, people people know nothing in this world is free. So even <laughs> yes, even though you don't have to pay us to attend, there is a cost to you when you attend you've got to get to the park, you've got to have some some kind of shoes. There are always barriers. And the idea is that we will remove as many, many barriers as possible. For us to be in a park, we have to have an agreement with the landowner. We probably need council permission. We have to have volunteers and so on. So there are prerequisites that make that all happen. In order to support that event, we will need timing, we will need websites, we will need social media, we need all those things. To broaden our appeal to the Asian community, we have to have targeted focused campaigns on social media. That costs money. Everything costs money. And so when it comes to doing more, uh, we would have to enhance our resources internally our staff team will probably grow a little, although we're very focused on, on keeping that at a really sustainable level. And I'm not trying to say this as a negative, we can't do it. We are doing it. Our resources are growing. Uh, we're, we've initiated a number of um, retail-related options. This top I'm wearing at the moment is, a, is something called Contra, which is a whole initiative to address inequalities within sport And every single penny that's produced um, profit goes directly to sustain Park Run. So we've taken our own initiative, we're growing our own revenue with a purpose of being able to take this movement and give it to as many people as possible. But at the same time, we have to be very responsible. So we can't just fly off the handle and open up thousands of events and find out that we're bankrupt because that would be a disaster, a disaster for everybody. So uh, I'm incredibly proud of the work that our team's doing, both the board and the executive, as well as the staff, to make sure that that balance is maintained. And I would say that on reflection, we're in a stronger position now than we've ever been. And uh, I think the future looks good, but we are cautious. We we're, uh, we're not over ambitious we try to go where we're most needed and of course in terms of diversity we're trying to put together sustainable programs that really make a difference and I, I think we're doing that
0: mm. um I think you certainly are yeah um while I was while I was um googling about things to ask you and disappearing down one of those delightful Google rabbit warrens I ended up on the um, a website about about the the government's behavioural insights team, the Nudge Unit, who are trying to get um, working about how to build habits for healthy life in easy ways by sort of giving people little nudges. And there's a, something I found interesting that changes in the way we behave are far more likely to stick if the activity is and the acronym is East: Easy, Attractive, Social, and Timely. And you'll be pleased to know that the design of Parkrun comes straight from this playbook so the behavioral insights team highly uh, approve what you do it's easy no registration uh, attractive parks and open spaces it's nice um social it's an explicitly social event with the tagline it's a run not a race uh, and it's timely it's a routine thing so that saturday is often referred to as park run day so um yeah i'm i'm imagining quite a lot of those things are not coincidence in your planning
1: well i would say day one day one i knew that i was going to do it every single week i mean that was the commitment that i had made um i also knew that it wasn't going to be a race even if people would treat it that way i was going to make sure that everybody knew it was a run I said explicitly on the first brochure that I produced that everybody was welcome, whether you came with a dog or, or a pushchair, Um, and then of course the park, it was always supposed to be in pleasant spaces. So, so I think it was deliberate, but not for the reasons that Nudge have, have, uh, have said, I mean, I, I don't believe I was looking for monumental growth or any real growth. I 13 people on the first week. When we got to 20, I thought, okay, well, this is it. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be You hit 20. the big
0: time. Yeah.
1: And when we got to 100, I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> the, the, the parks authorities are going to stop me. So, you know, whilst I, I was happy that more and more people were coming, I was a little bit cautious about it because I hadn't really asked anyone for permission. I didn't have insurance at the time. I, I, there were loads of things that I should have done as an event organizer, which I didn't do because it was never really supposed to be what it's become. So uh, so I didn't, I didn't think of a marketing plan. It wasn't about that. It was definitely about uh, what felt right to me obviously has become our values and those values just happen to be brilliant from Nudge's point of view and I, you know we can see it now clearly we can see that these are the things that the so-called barriers that you can remove and the hooks that you can sur- surreptitiously uh, hold people to that keep them coming back and that becomes habit forming and before you know it they run us. As- those 3,000 people that I mentioned who have done a parkrun in, in lockdown, who have never done a parkrun before, lockdown has been the issue that, you know, you're in lockdown, you need to get some exercise. It's the only thing we've been, been allowed to do. And they've discovered actually, not only is it good for them, but actually if they do it on a regular basis, it's quite a lot of fun. And so park runs the next obvious place to go
0: yeah it's wonderful the small a small uh semantics question is it pronounced park run or park run
1: it's park run i don't know park park run it's uh there's no there's no (laughs) no emphasis on the park or on the run it's just one word okay it,
0: it must be it must be your lit your uh the, the remnants of your Zimbabwean accent. I wasn't quite sure as we were chatting then, which whether you whether there was a any deliberate thing to it. No, no, Paul. I I like to finish my um, podcast interviews with a few questions from my magic uh, deck of cards with difficult um, midlife crisis questions on it. Okay. Are you willing to answer a few of my yes, questions? Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, if you don't want to answer any, you can say pass. Okay. Um, okay. Tell me when to stop 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 tell me about the last silly or small thing that brought you contentment or joy
1: well i mean the last one was i went for a bike ride yesterday i didn't plan where i was gonna go um and when I, I, I got to a specific place, happens to be Box Hill, I then said to myself, okay, well, where am I going to go now? I could just go straight home. and That would have been 50 kilometers or so. But I thought, no, nah, I'll tell you what, I'll just take the next turn to the right and see where it goes. And I did that, and uh, I, I got home after doing nearly 90 kilometers, and um, – uh, Just a wonderful, wonderful day. I mean, the experience, everything about it, the the weather, the ride. I was on my own, which is not always how you would want to be uh, riding, but it was a great, great, gave me a lot of joy, a lot of fulfillment.
0: Okay, that's a nice answer. Okay, next one. Stop. What is a good decision you have made in life and what can that teach me about making decisions?
1: Wow. Um, you know there are there are so many. I think try to understand yourself as best you possibly can. Um, be honest with yourself about your weaknesses and then be honest with those you love about your weaknesses because if anybody's going to forgive you it's going to be them and uh, what I found is I mean I I, I continuously make the same mistakes They're personality behavior mistakes they're things that I've grown up with the way I was uh, brought into this world, um, uh, stunted many parts of my personality, and as a result, I find it very, very difficult in some situations to um, to explain myself. And I will present like I'm angry and disappointed and sad, and all all in the same time. And so, for Joanne, it can be incredibly frustrating, incredibly. And when she says to me. Uh, what's wrong, then I, I can't answer her. I'm, I'm able at that moment in time to tell her what's going on. But maybe three days later, I can reflect on it and say, okay, I think that was the issue. And so what I've tried to do with Joe is, uh, is talk through when I'm not sad, when I'm not upset, when I'm not depressed, talk through what happens to me it doesn't help her because on the, at the moment when things are unpleasant, but it does help her understand the process. And she can say, okay, I'm just parking this. Go and be on your own for three days and when you're ready, come back. And, and, and that's kind of how we're getting through it. I mean, it's, uh, if, if you aren't honest with yourself, you'll find it very difficult to be honest with those you love. But if you can be honest with yourself and you can be honest with the ones you love, then I think you've got an easier ride.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. Right. Stop. Let's hope the next one's... Yeah. Just had that same one. Um, Are you doing what you love?
1: Yes, I think I am. So at the moment, um, I'm... From a work point of view, I'm a direct uh, trustee with two charities. One is a a trustee called Stormbreak, which is specifically focused on health and well-being for children. Stormbreak is a break in the storm. It's allowing children to step outside of a storm in their heads and recover themselves. And it's a it's a very very valuable charity. Just started in the last two years and starting to grow. I think it's going to be on BBC Children in Need in the next starting in August, so it's it's quite a, a big thing. And then I'm involved in Parkrun, and I'm involved in Parkrun, obviously, as the founder, but also as a trustee, and I'm the holder of the values. So whenever something material happens that uh, we need to consider as a team, when it comes down to the values, I hold the, the balance of power, which is interesting. Apart from that, I'm... Really very, very interested in the adventures that I go on, whether they the ride I did yesterday or it's traveling to another part of the world in my camper van where I can experience how cold it could be in the middle of winter in Norway or how hot it can be in the middle of France during the Tour de France it always involves running and cycling and being with people and sometimes even being alone. Um, and I think the combination of all those things, it, it it is fulfilling. It's making me realize that living life to the full and living it day by day, not waiting for things to happen in the future, try and grab as much as you can now, Without being greedy, I'm not I'm not that sort of person. Uh, it is fulfilling, and it's feeling like I'm really enjoying my life. I turned 60 this year, and um, I think I'm in an incredibly lucky and fortunate position to be able to do this. Not many people can, so I'm grabbing it with both hands, and I'm trying to really enjoy it. I think
0: that's a fantastic. Place for us to end on. Paul, thank you so much for uh, taking time to talk to me today. You have come a long way since that run of 13 people in uh, Bushy Park, West London, and uh, we've all got a lot to thank you for for that. So thank you very much,
1: Paul. Thank you for having me, Alistair. It's great to talk to you again.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. If you did, please do rate and review the series on your podcast app. It really helps. Please also take a quick screenshot right now and send it to any of your friends who might appreciate listening. There are dozens of episodes for them to dip into. And if you enjoy mulling over the questions on my deck of cards, you can now try them out yourself. I've put them all into a notebook for living adventurously, which you can buy on my website. And whilst you're there, why not sign up for one of my three email newsletters or two other podcast series? Okay, enough of the sales talk. Thank you very, very much indeed for listening to Living Adventurously. I hope you'll come again soon.